when you think of quality control, you probably picture the manufacturing process of your favorite products or foods. But have you ever thought about personal quality control? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah explains why personal quality control or virtue is so critical for believers, especially in the current culture. Listen as David introduces today's message, Moral Excellence. Well, you know, friends, a lot of people do a lot of good things, but not always for the right reason and not always from the important center of who they are. As real Christians, our moral excellence, our virtue, who we are, we really are as people, should be the source of all of the good things that emanate from our lives. You can mask all of that. Actually, you can fake the Christian life. A lot of people do that. They figure out what are the main things that Christians do, and they do them. But if you're around them very long, you can discover that there's something missing, the, the, the reality of it, the genuineness of it. That has to come from who you really are, from virtue. Virtue is a interesting word, not spoken of much in our culture, but we're going to speak of it for the next two days under the subject of moral excellence in this series, Everything You Need, from Second Peter chapter 1. We'll get back to this in just a moment, but first, I mentioned to you early on in this uh, series that we have a special book uh, ready to help you get prepared for Easter, and we're sharing this information with you because the book is a preparation book like the one we did at Christmas time, where we had 25 days of reading in preparation for the celebration of Christmas. Well, we followed that up with Seasons of Hope, a celebration of Easter, and uh, this is really good, you guys. Uh, I have to tell you that when we offered these uh, back before Christmas, we had a bundle package where you could order one or you could order four so you could give three of them away. And we were so shocked because we got more orders for the bundles than we did for the individual book. Everybody wanted to send this book to somebody they knew. I think this will be the same thing. You can go to our website and find out more about it. But the book is called Season of Hope, A Celebration of Easter. And you will love this book. You can get it from Turning Point. Order it now. I have my copy right in front of me here on the desk. Okay, here we go. What does it mean to be virtuous? Let's find out from our text in Second Peter chapter 1. Tim Naibo is an entrepreneur and business leader in San Diego, where I live. And he graduated from college in 2010 and decided he was going to start a business in China. He had $5,000 in his pocket, and he was mulling over ideas for a product that he could export and sell. This was the beginning of the iPad, e-tablet buying frenzy, so he decided to partner with some other guys and produce cases for these new devices. He put enormous effort into the enterprise, but he forgot one thing, quality control. As a result, he ordered thousands of defective cases for electronic tablets. They didn't fit the tablets they were supposed to match, and the holes for the buttons were in the wrong places. <laughs> so not surprisingly, the young businessman lost his shirt. He lost everything he invested. But Tim Naibo learned a lesson that has shaped his career, and it's a lesson worth talking about. He said, we wanted a product built to our exact specifications, but we neglected quality control from the beginning. Our experience taught us that people who involve themselves in the quality control process receive substantially better products. Yeah, I would think. 
Naibo's greatest takeaway from the experience was this. Product quality, not profit margins, is the key to long-term success. As a result, believe it or not, Tim Naibo is now a lecturer. He tells everybody how to do what he almost didn't get right. Quality control is really important, isn't it? It will make or break any commercial enterprise that you enter into. Believe it or not, it's really important in the church. So quality control is essential in business, in public utilities, in agriculture, in education, especially in sports. I have a son who is invested in the sports world, and he tells me all the time how much effort is put into the recruiting of athletes, and a lot of it has to do with what is the quality of their life, not what is their athletic ability. Quality control is really, really important. And you and I are not exempt from the need for personal quality control. I mean, if we're going to be strong and effective people who can withstand our culture. We have to be effective against those who come at us. We have to be people of quality. We have to bear a testimony. We have to leave behind a legacy. We have to be people of quality. And that's something you don't hear much about these days, you know. But the Bible has a word for this quality, and the word is virtue. The Bible tells us that we're to be virtuous people. Peter said, add to your faith virtue. Like I like to say when I teach this, the Bible has its own quality control division. And in that quality control division is this concept of virtue. So first of all, let's talk about what it is. What is virtue? The word occurs twice in Second Peter 1. We're told that God has called us to virtue. And then we're told to give all of our diligence to develop virtue. There again is that two-pronged thing we've talked about. God has given it to us. But we're supposed to develop it. We're not supposed to just watch it and look at it. We're to open the package and develop the quality. So virtue really speaks to the quality of our character. To spiritual excellence. Moral excellence. Morally good people. A person of virtue is a quality person. A person who is good and generous and gracious. Someone who is genuinely trying to be above reproach. That used to be something that was very common in our culture. I'm old enough to remember some of those days. You didn't have to be a Christian to be that way. It was just kind of part of our culture. We prided ourselves in the fact that we're Americans, and Americans are good people. You know, you might say something to somebody about something, and you wouldn't know very much about that person, but the person, no, no, he's a good guy. He's a good person. And what we meant by that was he's somebody you can trust, somebody who's not going to try to cheat you, somebody who's going to express the value of his own life. True virtue, though, for all of us as Christians comes from our faith. For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. When you become a Christian, virtue is part of the package. Virtue has its beginning when you trust God in placing your full weight on his worthiness. If this sounds challenging, you probably know people who struggle with this, and so many followers of Christ do. Someone once told me there's so much of the world in the church and so much of church in the world, you can't tell the difference between the two. And I've done so many studies on the social issues that face our country. It's really discouraging when you do that to realize that sometimes there's very little difference in the statistics that come out of the churches, the good churches, than there is that comes out of the world. 
And I know that God isn't pleased with that because we as Christians who fully trust in the Lord, we ought to be people of virtue. Now let's talk about how that works. First of all, if there ever was anyone who walked on this earth who was completely virtuous, it was only the Lord Jesus Christ. And we learned earlier that if you want to know about God, you've got to know about Jesus because Jesus is God's picture to the world. So if you want to know what virtue is, you look at Jesus. And how did Jesus express his virtue? He expressed his virtue by pleasing his Father. You know, there's a part of every one of us that wants to please somebody. It's a motivating factor in business, way more than I thought. For instance, Disneyland and Disney World are built on quality control. And that principle began with Walt Disney himself, who inspired deep loyalty in his employees. One of the associates of Disney was a person named Stormy Palmer, said Walt's inspiration and enthusiasm made overachievers out of all of us at the studio because you wanted to please him. He was more than a boss. He was like a father. People work diligently to produce quality work because they want to please somebody above them. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had anybody in your life? I'm not talking about God now. I'm talking about somebody in your life that you so respected. Maybe you worked for them or you were associated with them, and you just wanted to please them so much. When I was in seminary, I was a Christian ed major. And the professor of Christian education at Dallas Seminary at the time I was a student there was a man by the name of Howard Hendricks. And Howard Hendricks was one of the most creative teachers you ever want to see. We didn't take tests. We didn't have quizzes. We did projects. And these projects had to be done, I mean, they had to be done with creativity, with color, all kinds of imagination. And I have to tell you, I wasn't very good at that. But I looked around and I saw my fellow students walking into class with these projects. And they were in color. Some of them had embossed covers. And I thought, you know what? I'm never, ever going to be able to compete in this class. I gave myself for three years to try to do a project for Dr. Hendricks, who I greatly admired, to see if I could get a 10, because that was the highest grade. I never got a 10, not the whole time. I ended up with a 9+, plus and I thought, I'm going to go celebrate and forget it. But you know what? That's what we do for people that we really admire, isn't it? We want to please them. There's something within us that drives us forward to please people that we respect and that we love. Well, in John 8, our Lord was having a discussion with his critics, the Pharisees, who resented the quality of his life. They didn't like Jesus because his moral excellence was way superior to theirs. And how many of you know when you live a godly life and you're around people that aren't so godly, you make them real nervous and sometimes you make them real mad. And, uh, you know, these people didn't like Jesus because of who he was and how he lived. And Jesus said to them in John 8, 28 and 29, he said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. Now listen to this. And I always do those things that please him. Do you want to know how to live a life of virtue? Make it your goal to always do those things that please the Lord Jesus Christ, that please the Father. The secret to Jesus' virtue was his focus on pleasing his Father. Now here's an interesting thing that I discovered when I was writing this project. It's not just a one-way street. When you please someone, they end up being 
pleased with you, you end up being pleased with them. It's a two-way street. And on two different occasions, at two different phases of his earthly life, God the Father spoke out of heaven concerning his Son to say to everybody who would listen, I'm pleased with you. It happened twice. Let me tell you, you'll not forget this because these are two important events. It happened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was baptized. This is recorded for us in Matthew chapter 3. And Jesus was being baptized, and the Bible says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was at his baptism, and he was beginning his ministry. And he needed affirmation. He needed to know that he was pleasing to his Father. And God the Father knew Jesus' life from his birth. He had watched him all the way through to this point in time. He had watched him as he laid in a manger. He had watched him as he grew through childhood to the age of 12. He had watched him when he tarried in Jerusalem, waiting to be about his father's business. He had watched Jesus through his whole life. His eyes took in every day of our Lord's teenage years as he grew in wisdom and stature. And at the end of that period, at the beginning of his life, God the Father looked down upon his son, and in front of the whole world, he said, This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. I always love this passage of Scripture because it's a tremendous illustration of the Trinity. I want you to notice this. God the Son is in the water of the baptismal. God the Spirit comes down in the form of a dove. Remember that? Where's God the Father? He's in heaven, and he's saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. God the Father in heaven, God the Holy Spirit coming down as a dove, and Jesus Christ being baptized. Who is that class? That's God Almighty, the three-in-one, the Trinity. Amen? Now, this is incredible. Let me just pause here and add a little practical word. Just as God the Father in heaven pronounced his pleasure with his Son on earth, we as human fathers need to develop that aptitude as well. Do you know that? I'm going to tell a story about my father because he's in heaven and I at least can't get in trouble till I get there so that'll be all right, right? <laughs> but my father was like some of you guys here. He grew up in this generation where <laughs> it just wasn't very, you know, outward about his affection and his, you know, I would find out that my dad thought I was great because somebody would tell me, oh, your dad's really proud of you. And I would think to myself, well, why what doesn't he tell me? But he couldn't, he just really had a hard time doing that. I remember being hugged by my father one time in my whole life because he just wasn't a hugger. Did he love me? Oh, yeah, my dad loved me. There's no big deal about that. But he came from a generation that did not express that. And some of you know what I'm talking about. If you know what I'm talking about, shake your head. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So if we don't know that from our fathers, sometimes we don't know what to do with our children either. And I remember early on as a father, it was awkward for me. I didn't have anybody who taught me that. My mom was a hugger, and she was very affectionate, but my dad, was he was a good man, but he just didn't. You know, I remember one time reaching out to hug him, and he stuck out his hand to shake hands, and he about killed me. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's just kind of the way it is. So let me just pause and say, one of the greatest gifts you can give to your children, especially fathers, is to let them know how proud you are of them and that they're pleasing to you. If you do that, you're going to give them something they can't get. And nobody else can do that for you. Like I said, people would come and say to me, oh, your father's really proud of you. But that was nice, but it wasn't like my father saying that to me. 
Wes Stafford, who for many years was the president of Compassion International, wrote an amazing statement, and here's what he said. He said, I believe that children carry with them at all times a little invisible chalkboard, a blank slate that they hold up to us saying essentially, please tell me something, something about myself, something about my life and my world. Sometimes we miss their silent pleas for affirmation. So who's the best example you can use as a father? Father God. It's a reason he's called Father As our father, he teaches us how to be a good father. And not only did he say this to his son at the beginning of his ministry, but at the middle of his ministry, he did it again. In Matthew chapter 17, we read, Jesus Christ was being transfigured before his disciples. It says in chapter 17 that Jesus was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as a light. And behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. During his earthly life, as you know, Jesus never allowed his divine glory to be visible. Someone told me the best way to say this is a theological statement. Jesus voluntarily divested himself of the independent use of his attributes. Now, don't try to remember that, but listen to this. What it means is when Jesus was down here, he wasn't showing himself off as God all the time. Isn't that true? If you knew Jesus and you grew up in the neighborhood, you wouldn't have known he was the son of God. Even his own disciples didn't understand it until after his resurrection. But Jesus, on one occasion, revealed to his disciples who he really was. On the Mount of Transfiguration, and you read the story, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and uh, his face shone like the sun. On that mountain, on that day, they saw who Jesus really was. He was God in a body, and they were able to witness it. And during his life, that had never been true before, but on this occasion, it happened. And in that momentous time in Jesus' life, his father showed up, and he said, yeah, that's my boy. (laughs) This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Peter never forgot that moment, and neither would you. Peter was there when this happened. He saw it all. And in 2 Peter 1.17, he mentions it. Let me just read this verse to you. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Peter mentions it in Second Peter, because it was such an impressive thing. And ladies and gentlemen, we live in a world where nobody ever seems to want to affirm anyone. And we ought to make it our goal, if we're going to be godly people, to realize that part of our virtuous life is to pour courage into other people. Did you know that's what the word encouragement means? Encourage means to pour courage into somebody. Take some of the courage God has given you and pour it into somebody else and bless them and encourage them and affirm them and say to them in so many ways, you are pleasing to me, even as the father said to his son. So the moral quality of Christ is this. This is how he was virtuous. He always aimed to please God and God was pleased with him. I can't give you 10 things that you should do to be a virtuous person. Let me just give you one little clue. Get up every morning and say, Lord, help me to please you today. Help me to please you today. Do you know if you start doing that? It'll be interesting, the things that you realize you're already doing that probably aren't pleasing him, and you're going to want to quit some of them. 
and some other things you know you should do that you might want to start. It's a great little way, a great little lens through which to look at your life. All right, now let's take the second step. The moral quality of Christ was that he aimed to please God. And our moral quality comes when we aim to please God as well. Let me take this a step further. Just as Christ was pleasing to God, the Bible teaches Christ followers we are to make it our goal to please God as well. And how do we please God? By living a virtuous life, a life of moral quality. Now that sounds intimidating, and it makes all of us kind of take a deep breath and say, you know, I remember, I hope God doesn't know about that. You know, well, (laughs) God knows about it all, doesn't he? So there's no posturing with God. And he doesn't forget them, and he does not stand in over us with a list saying, I'm going to get you for all these things. I mean, that's not what he does. But the issue of our trying to please God is really at the core of what it means to be virtuous. Kevin DeYoung gives us a good word here. I want you to listen to what he said. He said, when we hear the language of pleasing God, some of us panic because we only relate to God as a judge. But God is also our Father. And if you think, I have to please God with my obedience because he's my judge, you will undermine the good news of justification by faith alone. But you ought to reason this way. I've been acquitted. The Lord is my righteousness. I'm justified fully. I'm adopted into his family. I am so excited to please my Father and live for him. What a different take on that is that statement. When we know God is loving and forgiving, the quest for being virtuous becomes a joy and adventure. We work hard just like I worked hard to try to please my professor in Christian education. We want to develop virtue in our lives so that when God looks at us, he can say to us, there's my son, there's my daughter, I'm well pleased with them. This isn't a vague proposition. The Bible gives us really careful instructions. And I want to take you now to a passage just for a few moments that kind of details some of the things that call to us to be virtuous. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 and 2. And if you have your Bibles, you can follow, but I'm going to read them. We urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Now Paul wrote these words to the Thessalonian believers And he is saying to them, you heard what we talked to you about and how you ought to walk and please God. And then the next verse tells us some of the ways we can do that. So listen to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4. This is the will of God. How do you please God? Well, here it is. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, it gets really hard here. That you should abstain from sexual immorality that each of you should know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and honor. Ladies and gentlemen, you can't talk about the biblical quality of virtue without dealing with moral and sexual purity. When you diligently add to your faith virtue, that includes incorporating God's model for your sexual conduct. In other words, it does matter if you're a Christian whether you are living a morally clean life. And since he's the creator of the earth... He has the right to make any rules he wants. And let me tell you what I've discovered. Whatever rules God makes, they're for our good, for his glory and for our good. He doesn't tell us not to do something or to do something unless it's for our benefit. Amen. Hey, we didn't have enough time for this, so we'll finish it up tomorrow. 
uh, part two of Moral Excellence is tomorrow, and then Friday, Mental Focus. These are all the building blocks of this chain that Peter wrote about in Second Peter chapter 1, under the subject of you have everything you need for life and godliness. The book that I wrote on everything you need is available from Turning Point, along with the study guide for this series, and you can get that by going to our website, which is davidjeremiah.org. Let me also remind you that uh, in July of this coming year, we'll be sailing uh, out on our conference cruise to Alaska, and we've started to do something that's been very popular. Last year, for the very first time, we invited Tony Dungy and James Brown, sports figures, to come and encourage us and talk with our men and uh, a lot of guys came on that cruise that had never been on a cruise before we're doing it again Michael Sanchez, Uriel Vega, we'll all be there for the Alaska cruise go to our website and find all about it see you tomorrow For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series Everything You Need visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine turning points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book, The Mediterranean Sea Rules, 10 God-Given Strategies for Moving Forward. This helpful resource is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Everything You Need, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In a world that often feels overwhelming and discouraging, discover encouraging words for a discouraging world. Ten Biblical Promises to Bring Comfort in Chaos, a new book by Dr. David Jeremiah. You'll discover how to face your circumstances with unwavering confidence and hope. Yours for a gift of any amount in support of Turning Point. And for a gift of $70 or more, Dr. Jeremiah will send you his comprehensive Encouraging Word set. Request these resources at davidjeremiah.ca. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. Winston Churchill once wrote that men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had happened. That observation makes me wonder how many times we miss something God is trying to show us, something we want or need to know. 
because his still small voice gets drowned out by the noise around us or by our own loud voices. If there's an answer you've been searching for, no matter how big or how small, take a quiet moment today and ask God to give you ears to hear and eyes to see what he is saying. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's voice on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.